0: your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore.
1: Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to DipsyStories.com slash Just Break Up.
0: That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A Stories.com slash Just Break DipsyStories.com slash Just Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra Demolder,
1: And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like when all of your friends' relationships are toxic, (laughs) practicing emotional maturity, and when your partner gets more dates than you do. Oh, dang. Mm -hmm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we're not licensed mental health. Or relationship therapist people at all. We are just making it up as we go along. Correct. Sierra and I are both tired today because we spent too much time cleaning, <laughs> if that gives you an example of like the lives that we lead.
0: We're wild, y'all. <laughs> like we are rock stars. <laughs> uh, yes, please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble and sleepy musings to so hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs. On the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. So this week's check-in topic is inspired by a meme I saw a couple weeks ago. Um, Oh,
1: I love it when (laughs) our check-in topics are inspired by memes. Obviously,
0: professionals (laughs) literally. Like, what if what if you went to your therapist's office and was like, the therapist was like, "Listen, I'd like to review this meme account with you."
1: (laughs) I'd be like, "Great! Yeah, this is the kind of therapy that's really helpful for me."
0: Yeah. Uh, you and every other millennial in the world. Um, exactly. So it's from a tweet by somebody who's like at proletariatity. <laughs> so it's going to be like really peak, you know, culture, but it's, uh, it says third base is when they see you having an anxiety attack. <laughs> and I just That's thought it so was real. like a funny and B um The writer in me was like, oh, what a great prompt. Um, Sam and I should think of our own, you know, first, second, and third bases. Oh, shit. I didn't think of a home base. Did you? Yeah. Okay. Mine will just be doing it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's literally mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay. So, Sam, what is your new first base?
1: Uh, My first base is me making fun of you. (laughs) (laughs) tell me more because if um if I like you I will like poke fun at you that's Mm -hmm. like how I express my love to people so if you are a friend of mine and I don't make fun of you (laughs) that means Mm -hmm. that I Mm -hmm. don't like Mm you
0: (laughs) now is the accurate time to tell people that I came out of Sam's spare bedroom at one point in my life, wearing my glasses. And he told me I looked like the main character from She's All That before the makeover. (laughs)
1: Uh, You did. I believe you were also wearing overalls in my defense.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and probably I had paint, you know, like adorably splashed on my face in like a picturesque way. (laughs) Also,
1: the whole premise of that movie is that she's beautiful with when the glasses on. When she takes her on. glasses off. <laughs> no, but it's like she's clearly still beautiful when she takes it. Like, that's why that movie is so dumb because it's like she's so pretty yeah, <laughs> no yeah, matter yeah, yeah. what. What's her name?
0: Rachel Cook or something like that?
1: Rachel Lee Cook. Yep. Uh,
0: anyway, okay. So I went like a different route. I went like more like vulnerability. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I thought we were being silly.
0: <laughs> no, we are being silly because <laughs> okay. uh, my first face is them or someone uh, listening to me passionately talk about the things that I love about Hamilton, the musical, in, uh-huh. to the point where it makes me cry. Like, I get very weird and emotional about the things that I love about Hamilton. And I don't know why it, like, evokes physical tears out of my <laughs> eyeballs, like, regularly, no matter how many times uh-huh. I've said the things I have to say or listened to the soundtrack. I just, like... I don't know what it is, man. Lynn manuel mm-hmm. put like some potion in that shit and it makes me cry. So that's like my, that would be like getting the first base with me, is seeing me do that. That's great. Thank you. What is your second base?
1: Uh, my second base is me telling you everything I know about the Romanovs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. <laughs> I love that. Because you mm-hmm. love And also
1: it's it's great I love it And then like I try not to talk about it Because um, like once I start I can't stop Like mm-hmm. I just like this has happened And Peter can tell you about it Where like I will mention one thing And then it'll be like and this and this and this And he'll be like I don't need to know like the whole story Of the entire
0: totally. line
1: of people But I can't it's just it's There's something in my brain that's like This is so interesting people want to hear about
0: this <laughs> <laughs> That's funny uh, my second base would be, uh, being talked about on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. That means I've, uh, been second base with like quite a few people. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe home base is like being talked about by name on the podcast. Cause so few, you know.
1: Very few people. That's true. I
0: literally only name drop like a couple of our friends and my wife. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm, mm-hmm okay what's your third base
1: uh my third base is you getting to see me when i talk to my cat in the way that oh. i talk to my cat when no one is around
0: oh that is a great <laughs> one that's such a good one uh-huh yep. ooh, it, talk, it sounds like this oh you're such a good boy that is, is that exactly a good impression. Yep. Uh huh. <laughs> okay and how do i talk to opal do you can you remember
1: <laughs> you talk in that that like weird baby voice that you and your whole family have
0: Yeah, I'm not even going to. We're not there, JBU community. We're not on that base. Finally, my third base is, this is the ultimate vulnerability, is third base is seeing me when I've lost something important, like my keys or my wallet, because I get so triggered (laughs) (laughs) By losing something important um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I have like essentially a temper tantrum or a breakdown because I have this inner dialogue in my mind that I always have to combat combat that I'm like a fucked up hot mess, you know, and so when I do something that reinforces that dialogue that I'm constantly fighting against. I, it's like Clash of the Titans in my fucking body. <laughs> like, I just have a temper tantrum and freak out and then, like, find my wallet in the car or something. Right. You know.
1: Well, that's because losing stuff is the worst. It feels like the universe is, like, gaslighting you. <laughs> it's
0: yes, like- and I've done it, like, so many. I've, like, legit lost my wallet. I mean, more than, More, I've had to, like, replace credit cards, like, more than five times. <laughs> Like, like,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm being triggered by the memory of that time we drove to your dad's house And, we lost and Willow lost the car key in the weirdest place Yeah, yeah, that, we like, found
0: them, we found them But did I tell you about oh the time God, that, so that I put our car fob on the uh-huh. windshield And drove somewhere else And then didn't have the car fob Didn't have it searched the streets of new york looking for that fucking fab that made me have a breakdown okay anyway and home base for you is having sex.
1: sex yeah mm. any kind
0: yeah and home heavy petting any kind just looking at me too long
1: honestly Mm-mm.
0: home base for me is uh yeah no talking about you f- by name on the podcast all right i love that Do you want to get into some letters
1: Let's do it. Okay, this first letter comes from Fallon is Losing It, who's writing from Crazyville, USA. Fallon writes, is it me? Am I the crazy one? I've been in a relationship for a while, seven years, and two of them engaged, but have had really cold feet with actually setting a wedding date because we have yet to outgrow behaviors, specifically when fighting, that I think are toxic and can't imagine doing for the rest of my life. We've been having these really hard conversations lately where I have been trying to get him to identify them as toxic and see how harmful they are and why they have made me want to not legally commit my life to the same fight and then the same conversation Mm. about that fight over and over again.
0: Mm.
1: However, our friends all fight the same way and are making it really hard for me to get him to see that these aren't normal, healthy, conducive fights as an example, one of our couple friends is getting married this weekend, and last weekend they got into a massive fight where they were both saying the wedding is off, and he left her at a bar and was texting her that she was disgusting, etc. Oh my God. As another example, a different couple friend got into a massive fight where he was on his bachelor party and asked her for her ring back and told her to get out of his house. The wedding was off. The works. <laughs> no, thank you, please. I know, I'm already never, so never, stressed never. by that.
0: <laughs> Been there. We have been in. Never do that we again. Have been,
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Thank God. Uh, we have been in similar fights where he always crosses the line and gets defensive or disrespectful, and I truly can't accept it as normal, healthy fighting. But he keeps saying our friends fight the same or worse and are still getting married and show affection and move on. So why can't we? I don't think I care what other people do and or accept. I think that they're all nuts to move ahead with their weddings with what appear to be massive red flags. Is it me though? Is this actually what love is? And my standards are too high. Everyone else seems to think these are just quote bad nights and totally normal. And I'm starting to feel crazy for fighting for something that maybe doesn't exist. Please help.
0: Oh, Fallon is losing it. Thank you so much for writing and for, for listening. I'm going to call you feely. <laughs> <laughs> Fallon is losing it.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: I Like my
1: life.
0: Bye, All right. Maybe that won't catch on. Uh, no, you're not crazy. Um, I mean, we all are to varying degrees, but, um, uh, you, I guess like don't gaslight yourself into thinking something that you feel is important isn't important because it's not important to other people. These Mm. other couples... Um, even if they were literally hitting themselves like with bananas at night and just like <laughs> doing the wildest shit to each other um or on the other side of the spectrum, even if they were not having these super toxic fights and you related deeply to their journey as a couple, these couples are not you they're not a reflection of you they don't have any business in your relationship and so my I think my first piece of advice is to just take a deep breath and remind yourself that what other people do has no dictation on my own life like I'm not going to allow myself to feel pressured or bullied or gaslit or redirected off my course because this is mine that is theirs and not all journeys can be mine sort of shit.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah I think it's especially important to remember That like I would say most Relationships are like pretty unhealthy <laughs> So like <laughs> Just because it's like the normal Thing to do right yeah. doesn't mean that it's Actually a healthy thing to do Yeah Um. And,
0: and What makes you say fact- most relationships are unhealthy I, I think I know what you're saying but just like For an insurance purpose like Back that up <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, this is an unscientific study. This is a statistic that I'm making up. Um,
0: well, but I think it's because... Yeah, go ahead.
1: I think it's because we're taught not to have healthy relationships, right? Like right. we are we are given a lot of of tools that are not actually super effective in helping us navigate how to maintain healthy boundaries and to ask for what we need and to engage in conflict in ways that is... Um, authentic and yeah. also like not damaging. Yeah, um, and we and have we don't terrible have h-
0: examples all around us. I was just daydreaming. Right. Like, what would a what would a romantic drama be if they just like got together and then like collectively worked on their trauma and mm-hmm. you know had a shared mm-hmm. vision and worked towards that vision imperfectly because we're humans, but like didn't blow up, didn't have that big <laughs> dramatic mm-hmm. scene in which, and then they reconnect. You know. We have a lot of bad examples around us.
1: For sure. And there's like, there's also nothing wrong with having emotional fights too, right? right? Like if that's the way that you want to engage in conflict, like that's fine. You do you. But it sounds like you're not interested in that, right? Right. And so the fact that all your friends are doing it doesn't mean that you need to do it. And you're not crazy for thinking that there are other ways of, of having relationships out there, right? Like I can name a number of couples in my life who have arguments that are, not explosive, right? Like right. I don't remember the last time that I was like out with friends and there was like a breakup. <laughs> like
0: that's oh my god. Like... Uh, That's why I got triggered. I was like, "Oh god, I can <laughs> literally hear like the bass beat going on and it's stressing me out."
1: <laughs> oh, for sure. And as a person who like used to date people who I would get into explosive fights with, like I totally understand how it feels and like why that impulse is there and like you're not, you know, you're not a bad person for having these big explosive bad nights. Right. And you have the opportunity to do something different, which it sounds like you're working on. Um, And if your your partner doesn't want to engage with those things with you, like that is a legitimate problem, right? Like you're not making this up. You're not being irrational or insane or crazyville, right? You are recognizing that you don't want to be, in this behavior anymore you don't like that it's coming up you want to do something different and it's it's okay to ask your partner to meet you in that in that shared goal of like having a different type of arguing
0: it doesn't matter what like your goal should not be to get your partner to see or to agree with you that that behavior is toxic it's I I hope that you can get to a point where you can say it is okay that these other people exist like this because it's not Mm. my relationship, but I, your partner don't want to do X, Y, and Z. Right. So hopefully you can phrase it to your now fiance in a way that is saying this isn't about them. So don't use them as a justification in a conversation and relationship that's between you and I. Mm Hmm.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because like all relationships are different. Right. So like just because you have friends who are in open relationships doesn't mean that that's going to work for you and your relationship. Right. And just because you're a friend, you have friends that are getting married doesn't mean that you need to get married because everyone else is getting married. And right. so you get to make decisions about your relationship for yourself and yeah. your friends don't get to. And your your partner doesn't get to say, well, Steve does it this way, so we're going to do it that way, too. Right. Like, yeah, n- no.
0: <laughs> it's a perfect example for the, like, not all journeys can be mine tagline. Um, in that Fallon, I just want you to, I want you to find that piece in yourself about your friends relationships. Like, yeah, that's stressful. I'd be stressed out the fuck if like Sam had crazy toxic fights with Peter, I would be like, I got to fix this, <laughs> you know, like yeah. for no fucking reason. <laughs> um, Or I would worry, you know, but like, I want you to first divide the two, right? That those, that's your friend's business. Doesn't have an influence on your own relationship. Not all journeys have yours. You don't want that journey. Great. Now let's talk about how to talk to your partner because listen, I'm in your, I'm in your team. I'm on your team for this one. I'm team everybody's happiness. But when it comes to like, um, productive argument, Styles in couples, mm-hmm. I do believe that's one of the foundational like things I look for. Are we compa- compatible when it comes to the way we want to approach conflict? or can mm-hmm. we become compatible? Not right. Do we have the same opinions, but can mm-hmm. we work together with a shared goal or shared mm-hmm. res- resolution? Can we meet each other halfway? Um, I know we suggest this a lot. But obviously, if you've been with this person for so long and you're 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 still struggling with these cyclical arguments, these arguments that end up in the same place, um, I really heavily suggest couples therapy, because the thing about a therapist is that it gives you a perspective, shared language that you didn't have before. Um, It can Mm -hmm. obviously doesn't work all the time, but um, I think this is a perfect, perfect place to go or, or example opportunity for therapy couples therapy because you can go in here with the ex- with the specific goal of we want to work on how we approach conflict
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and it is also okay if this is a deal breaker too yeah right like this it is okay for you to say this is something because you even said it in your letter you don't want to be having the same fight in the same way and then having the same conversation after the same fight for the rest of your life right mm-hmm. and that's really what this marriage thing is right. You, you agree to be together till you're dead. Like that's what that's what marriage is. So if you're not interested in having the, these fights in this way, then something has to change. Mm. And and if your partner is unwilling to make that change with you, then it is OK that you say. This isn't working for me anymore. And I need to go find a place where I feel safer to engage in conflict with people. Right. And you're not you're not crazy for wanting something different. And so you're not crazy for saying that this is so important that it's going to make or break our relationship, because maybe that's what he needs to hear. Honestly, it sounds like he's like, well, everyone around us, like, calls off their engagement the week before their wedding and calls each other disgusting. And that's it. I would Never that's that. how i want my relationship to look like um
0: <laughs> you're like <and> you,
1: uh <laughs> then you can say like i don't want to and that and and that is means that we either need to fix this or we need to to break yes, up because yes. i wouldn't want to be in a situation where i am having explosive fights and where we're breaking up and then getting back together like it's yes. it's too no, exhausting thank no
0: thank you <laughs> like, yeah um and i i do want to say um Something that I really have reveled and grown in is the piece of knowledge that not all arguments need to have resolutions, but they Mm -hmm. do need to have respect. So I think about it in terms of like, if I stop expecting, if I change my expectation in conflict away from one that is, I either need to have my mind changed or change somebody's mind. If mm-hmm. I move away from that mindset into a mindset of I want to feel respected and heard and I will hear and respect someone else's opinion and see mm-hmm. if we can find a middle ground, clarity, resolution, something like that. Then it has, is that has intrinsically changed the way my expectations of myself and my spouse. Um, that's mm. maybe something you can take into this. I second Sam's just general instincts and commentary that like, (laughs) if, if your partner thinks that arguing like this is okay, that would be a pretty red flag for me, pretty big red, red flag for me, a pretty red flag.
1: Yeah. Also pretty. (laughs) It was beautiful. It was like embroidered and
0: had sparkles. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, I wonder if you could bring that to your, your conversations as well and say, listen, we don't need to change each other's minds. We need to approach this as a team differently. Mm. Mm hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because it sounds like you two are are in a place where it might be you versus him. Yes. Right. And what we want to move towards is us versus the problem. Yes. Which is like a profoundly different mindset than we are often taught to view relationships in. Right. W-
0: wildly so. Yes.
1: Right. And it it sounds really simple, but like the mechanics of it are actually can be more complicated than that, right? Because it's a lot of unlearning that needs to happen. And again, it sounds like you're really willing to commit to that unlearning um, and you either need to help your partner see how important that is to you and sort of figure out how to work forward together or you need to find a partner who's going to want to engage in that journey with you.
0: Yeah, I agree. Best of luck, my darling. We hope this helps.
1: Thank you so much for writing. We love you. (laughs)
0: to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoiding person. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Brands
0: By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life, um, in which... (laughs) Um, I am never not in slippers and these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers and I love that they're slip on but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house
1: get warm weather ready with quince go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns that's q u i n c e.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash just break up
0: all right this next letter comes to us from irritable and afraid <laughs> Who is writing to us from the void? It's cute. We our two letters are irritable and afraid, and inadequate and insecure. (laughs) 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 Sorry, spoiler alert. (laughs) All right, hi Sam and Sierra. I only recently gotten into your podcast, though I've known about its existence for a while. A few of the letters and your responses really helped me sort through and forgive myself for some complicated things I've been feeling lately. I'm hoping you might be able to shed light on something that I've I'm feeling a lot of hurt, guilt and uncertainty about. My question is, how can I share feelings of hurt, disappointment and even anger without being abusive or manipulative? The context is this: I've had a really rough year. Not just because of the pandemic, I've experienced a lot of rejection, heartbreak and abandonment on top of some pretty significant life changes. I've also been socially isolated, which is hard for me, an extrovert, to cope with. All of these issues have me at my wits end. I'm irritable, cynical, irrationally resentful when the people I love don't show me the love in the exact way I want them to. And I seem to be unable to manage how to share my emotions with the people I care about. A cycle I see happening is that I will become upset, a little angry, mostly hurt by the things my friend will do. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes it's not. But in trying to talk to them about these issues, I end up feeling terribly guilty for needing to make a big deal of it, crying, being upset and standoffish, et cetera. But I don't yell. I'm so afraid of replicating the emotional dynamics of my parents. One parent hurt, disappointed and holding the other emotionally hostage because of their inability to predict the other's needs. I don't really have a good idea or model for how to share my emotions, even the silly ones. In a way that doesn't overly burden other people and cause them distress. So maybe you can help me figure it out. I'm trying so hard, but I'm afraid it's not enough. And I don't want to lose the people that mean a lot to me. Often in these conversations, I feel myself spiraling into self-hatred for having these emotions in the first place. And while I'm making a conscious effort to avoid dragging my friends into it, it's just, everything is hard. Any advice would be much appreciated. All right, irritable and afraid. I wish I could just give you a hug. <laughs> that sounds so cheesy, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you talk about this hard thing that you're going through and this really high standard that you're putting yourself through. And also this like big challenging thing, the challenging thing that is sharing our emotions with people because it's not fucking easy. <laughs> and yeah. all I hear is I'm not good enough. I'm not doing this well enough. I'm going to hurt everyone I love. And I'm not good enough. And I just want you to say, I just want to say to you that you are enough. You are trying so hard. You've been through a terrible year. So of course, you're not going to be your perfect self. Of course, Mm -hmm. these big, painful, awkward, fumbling emotions are going to come out in ungraceful ways. That is the most human, natural thing about you. We are not... Perfect. We are not capable of spilling out those emotions in ways that don't like leave drops places. Weird liquid metaphor there, but I'm gonna go with it. Um, we can finesse and fine tune our skills, like like what you're asking for. But first, I just want to say that, like, even if you feel like you're a bad person or you're doing things poorly. You're not. You're not a bad person. You're just trying to figure it out. You're just trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to handle all this hurt.
1: Absolutely. And I think offering yourself some grace for the fact that this has been a really hard year for a lot of people, and it's been a really hard year for you specifically. And so the idea that you have to somehow handle that pain and that hurt perfectly or in a way that that fits some idea of what you want your emotional expression to look like, isn't isn't a reasonable standard to be holding yourself to. And I, my therapy appointment on Friday was all about that—about how I'm so upset that I'm handling things in this way, and I'm so upset that I'm feeling this um, irritability or I'm feeling this depression. And it's like my therapist was like, Sam what are you talking about? This is a lot that you're handling, right? This is a lot that you're going through. And so don't beat yourself up for not handling it in the way you want to handle it every single time. Like give yourself a little grace. And that's what I want you to do as well. Irritable and afraid, you know, it is hard enough to go through, a uh, pandemic i mean it's hard enough to be a human in the world right and then to add a pandemic on it and to add these feelings of isolation that you've been feeling and sort of sounds like you also witnessed a lot of um maybe emotional immaturity from your parents as well right like it's a lot going on here so give yourself credit for the times that you show up in the way that you want to and give yourself grace for the fact that like you're managing an unmanageable amount of pain and an unmanageable amount of stress. Like we've right. never been through a global pandemic before, right? We right. are, we're not trained in it. Our bodies don't know how to handle it. Our brains don't know how to handle it. Our hearts don't know how to handle it. Like, it's not like there was a script we were fo- supposed to follow and you suddenly got off cue, right? Like right. we're all just making it up as we go along. Right. And so give, give yourself some grace in that.
0: And before I move on to my second point to you, I just want to interject on myself and say, we (laughs) cannot compare each other's resiliencies to one another because they are uncomparable because everyone Mm. has different triggers. Everyone has different skills. Everyone has different capacities. And one thing that is a heavy burden to one will not be a heavy burden to the other. But guess what? The thing that is really light and intuitive and easy for you feels impossible and shame filled to the other person. Right. We are Mm -hmm. not comparable in that way. So don't take all of this to say, well, I'm failing. at." It looks like everybody else is doing so much better. They're not. Trust me. They just might be (laughs) like thriving in different ways that you're thriving and failing in different ways that you're failing. right? Right. Failing that you're not failing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Again, we we have this tendency to convince ourselves that we're the most fucked up, right? Like right. everyone else has it together and we're the only one that seems to be struggling, but that's not true, right? People don't just don't present their struggles in the same way. And so we're not we are all uniquely fucked up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like all of us. And and the person that you think is handling this perfectly is probably really struggling in different parts of their lives. So like
0: yeah.
1: again, don't don't buy into that narrative that we have that we're somehow universally the most, or we are somehow uniquely the most fucked up person in the world.
0: Right. Um, The, I I want to actually get to some tangible like pieces of advice (laughs) in terms Mm -hmm. of like, how do we share our emotions? Because I know that I have struggled with not getting my needs met and then and then enacting my needs in manipulative or, you know, like the sure. overwhelming ways, right? Like not explicitly expressing my boundaries and I ne- my needs and then getting them through like unhealthy backdoor or like uh, toxic ways, right? I have mm-hmm. been guilty of that in my life. So I do want to talk about like, how do I, Sierra, like hold myself accountable to who I want to be when I'm talking about these big things, But I also, before I get to that tangible stuff, I think Sam and I have to ask you um, to take a moment to think about who and where, who taught you and where did you learn that that putting your emotions out there, expressing your your hard emotions, asking for things that you need was a manipulative thing. I'm not saying Mm. that it can't be. You know, like I just said, like I've confessed to that. I know that unhealthy people get their needs met in unhealthy ways, right? Or at least uh-huh. hurting people get their way, you know, like I've done there. I've been that person. I'm talking about myself when I use these words. I, mm. I, I'm I, not talking about you because I don't know you explicitly. But um, at this point in my life, I have to look at this letter and say, well, who taught you that? Who taught you that you're doing this? Bad manipulative thing. Who taught you that you're and and that you're doing it wrong in the first place?
1: Yeah. I mean it from your letter, it sounds like your parents, in which case I have a great book for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents by Lindsay C. Gibson. Yes, that's her name. One of our um,
0: most request uh most talked about books.
1: It's it is profoundly life changing. Yeah, honestly, like that. reading the book and, and being like, oh, this is why I think this way. And and also the tools that she offers in there about how you then work with the fact that the people around you are emotionally immature. Um, So it sounds like you were taught that your emotions were too much or that you or you saw ways in which people used emotions as mm-hmm. weapons. Yes, there it right? is and that doesn't mean that you're doing that right Right. emotional maturity doesn't mean that we don't have emotions or that we don't display those emotions to other people right emotional maturity is about being able to express those emotions and not need people to fix it for us right or not doing it in a way that gets our needs met through manipulation rather than asking for what we need so like the fact that you're telling your friends that you're feeling bad and you're crying about it doesn't mean to doesn't strike me as being in any way manipulative, right? If that were true, then Sierra would be the most manipulative.
0: Hey, person I know. what's up? <laughs> <laughs> Going back to your first base comment, <laughs> taking this as a fucking act of affection, you cold-hearted bitch, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right? Because like. Crying isn't isn't an act of manipulation. Crying is just like how you respond to the emotions that you're feeling. So, I want you to to again give yourself a little bit more credit and and remind yourself that like it's not your job to never have emotions. It's right. not your job to never display those emotions to people. Right? It's it is your job to sort of take accountability for some of the ramifications of those emotions, but. It doesn't sound like you're, like, screaming at people, right? It doesn't sound like you are, like, hurting people intentionally or whatever. And so give yourself a little bit more credit for the fact that, like, it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to express them. It's okay to express them in messy ways. And it's okay for us to take accountability for the ways in which that messiness might impact other people. But it doesn't mean that we're bad people because of it. It just means that we're humans who are having emotions.
0: Yeah. So... One way that I take accountability for that um, and how I navigate um, expressing my authentic feelings um, in a morally ethical way, I guess you could say, is first, I'm not reactionary. I I don't react in the moment um, unless... Mm -hmm under really heightened, important circumstances, I give myself the privilege and the opportunity to have a response instead of a reaction. So reactionary are those hot emotions. They're impromptu. They come from places of pain. They come from our inner childhood wounds, right? And a response is using your emotional intelligent tools to, to To listen to that pain, to those needs, to that, to that inner child needs and figure out what you can give to yourself and what you need from others. A big thing that I do is when somebody hurts me or when I feel like I need to have my feelings acknowledged or, or something like that, I first make sure that I remember who I am talking to and, and sort of similar to the first letter, I... I shift the perspective in my heart away from wanting to change their mind or prove them wrong or or change who they are intrinsically to mm. let me remember who this person is let me approach them as that person who I respect and my core goal is not to change them or to necessarily even Change their behavior, although sometimes that is the goal to say, like, I want you to stop saying this, or can you support Mm -hmm. me in this way? But my core goal is always just for them to hear me and know me and to recognize me with respect. Um, I remember one time I've talked about it on the show before, but like I did something that disappointed my father years ago, and he called me up months later and said, That thing really disappointed me. And I don't need you to do anything about it. I don't need you to make up for it. I just want you to know so that you know who I am. Um, mm-hmm. And that that like shifted in me because he could have acted out. He could have said like, how dare you or fuck you or whatever. I mean, he wouldn't say that. But, you know, the ways in which our pain gets expressed. But instead, he just wanted me to know out of shared love and respect that, that my actions hurt and disappointed him and that he didn't mm. need anything from me other than for me to know that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think that sometimes we get this idea in our head that if we have any sort of emotional response to someone, then it's like we're being triggered and it's our thing to deal with, right? Mm. And sometimes that's like, that's not true, right? We Even if we are someone who may feel like we're too sensitive, Having an emotional response to someone doing something or an emotional reaction doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong with us. It might also mean that there's like a behavior that's happening that we can ask for change, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can say to our friend, hey, you're doing this thing and it's actually really hurting my feelings. Can we talk about this and not apologize for the fact that we're like triggered, right? I think, you know... I think that there's like extremes of both of those things, right? Where it's like there's and then there's the person that's like, I'm triggered, and so everyone has to change their behavior all the time around me. And then there's people like me who's like, Oh, every time I have an emotional response, that's a trigger in myself and I need to fix it for me and no one else needs to know about it. <laughs> right? right. Like, and so finding the the balance there, but I don't want you to get it in your head that you um that you are like somehow so weak and all of your emotional responses are you, are your own problem too, right? Like there might be legitimate things that are causing you pain from the way that your friends are responding to you or reacting to you or or talking to you that are legitimate and should be, should be talked about, right? I don't want you to make yourself so little because you think that you're an overly emotional person who keeps being triggered by all these things and lashing out, right? I think being able to tell yourself that your emotions are legitimate and valid and expressing them is not manipulative. It's actually doing exactly what Sierra's dad did to Sierra and inviting people to see you more fully is really going to help you be able to make a little bit more space for some of those emotions. And then once that space is there, it makes it easier to, to not be so reactive in it. Yeah. Right. If we can say like, there's plenty of room for emotions in here, come on in,
0: makes it easier
1: than like trying to keep them all small. And then they come out in weird ways and in places where we don't want them to.
0: Right, totally. I should also add that like my advice is coming from me and my lived experience right now, which is one that is like most of the conflict in my life right now comes from me not accepting who people are and who I know them to be and wanting them to be something different. So something I've been working on a lot is just like, recognizing that a lot of times I want things from people who who are incapable of giving me them. So then I have Mm. to change my expectation of them, change how I engage with them to protect myself. You know, that being said, I couldn't agree with more with the idea of like, sometimes, sometimes... The bit, the better muscle to flex or to the muscle to build up, is the one that says my needs are valid, and my and my desires from you are valid. And if you can't meet me there, then maybe that's when I'm going to change what I can expect from you. You know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that's super real. And honestly, Lindsay C. Gibson should write a book that's like adult friends of emotionally immature friends, or like adult <laughs> siblings of emotionally immature siblings, or like yeah, yeah, adult yeah, yeah. coworkers of emotionally immature coworkers. Because it is like, I mean, I think that we are very influenced by our parents, but we are also surrounded by yes emotional immaturity all of the time, right? And we we are all often to dealing with our own emotional immaturity, and so really figuring out how to meet people where they're at and not expecting them to be different people than they are is um, really challenging.
0: Yeah. I think it's like one of my big, it's, it's something that brings me peace lately Um, as somebody who has chronically and universally looked to other people to bring me peace. I think that's Mm. why it's been so instrumental for me is like, I, instead I have to say, I'm not going to ask this of you because I don't trust you with my vulnerability, which is a little mm-hmm. bit different of what we're trying to encourage irritable and afraid to do justly. Like I, I think that we should, I agree with our path <laughs> mm-hmm. that it is in this situation. I want to uplift the idea that you can, that your, your needs are valid and that your emotions aren't too much and that it is a very noble and lifelong quest to be able to express those motions in ways that both honor you and your friends. For me, I think I, it's like the muscle I'm flexing is no, I'm going to with, I, I'm not going to put this on you because I don't trust you. Cause I know who you are. You know what I mean?
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds
0: like a little colder than it is, but it's been very empowering to me.
1: <laughs> it's great. Yeah. Love it.
0: Anyway, uh, irritable and afraid. Any other last notes, Samuel?
1: No, just that I'm I'm really sorry that you've been having such a hard time and that you're still feeling really disconnected or isolated from people and that you're not feeling seen by the people yeah. around you or that you feel like being seen is is causing people a burden because we know that that's not true. Um, yeah. But I'm also super thankful that you wrote to us and that you shared what you're going through with, uh, with us um, and know that it isn't lost on me how much trust you've placed in us by asking us this question, mm,
0: yeah, totally, and there there are ways to make this feel less impossible. there are mm. you know if you if you keep leaning into that discomfort, the discomfort is going to slowly ebb away absolutely, all right. We love you, my darling. Thank you so much for writing.
1: Thank you so much. All right, our next letter comes from Inadequate and Insecure, who is writing from The Void. (laughs) Hi, Sam and Sierra. I've been listening for about two years, and what you've shared on this podcast has truly changed the way I think about relationships with myself and others. From thinking relationships were something that I have little control over until I find the perfect couple or the perfect people who complete me to something that I have agency and responsibility for has started me on a very powerful head and heart work journey. I'm so very grateful. In fact, I am such a careful listener that until this point, I never had the inclination to write in because I would always picture exactly what you'd say to my problem. Me Mm. and my friend will often say to each other, what would Sam and Sierra tell us? And we'll groan about it and then start the hard work of facing (laughs)
0: ourselves. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Yeah,
1: honestly. What would Sierra say about this is what I ask myself all the time. (laughs) Uh. But now I've come across something that I can't really share with my friends because it's about polyamory or non-monogamy and no one I'm close enough to talk about feelings with has a similar lifestyle. And I know you're probably thinking, well, neither do we, but I think my issue has more to do with self-esteem issues, bleh, and fear of rejection, blue, than polyamory itself. <laughs> I'm a queer non-binary person, they, them, and so is my partner of about nine months, also they, them. We have a really amazing relationship that has strong communication, a willingness to show up when things get hard and so much fun and joyfulness. From the beginning, my partner expressed an interest in trying some form of non-monogamy and I wasn't completely opposed either. Once we were four months in or so, we started talking about it, reading about it, crying about it, and really working hard to figure out what non-monogamy could look like for us. Just for clarification's sake, What currently feels good to us is to keep each other informed and tell each other about dates in a comfortable and casual way, almost like we're telling each other about our day, and giving space for anything that comes up. We don't have any plans to date or sleep around together at the moment. Anyway, I was very scared as we started this process because I'm a very anxiously attached person and I have a terrible habit of comparing myself to others. I was worried that my feelings of jealousy and, jealousy and inadequacy would be too painful and my relationship with my partner would be fundamentally incompatible because of it. Hmm. But through a lot of careful and deliberate work with myself, my partner, and my therapist, when my partner went on a first date with someone a few weeks ago, I mostly felt joy and excitement and curiosity for them. It's such a relief. And while I know I'll be bound to have lapses in my uncustomary chillness, I think that this is a really positive first step. So, why am I writing in? Basically, I got very excited and started seriously entertaining the idea of finding someone to go on a date with. Of course, between the ongoing pandemic and my busy schedule, dating apps are pretty much the only way to meet people, and I've had little luck. From a rational standpoint, I know this kind of stuff doesn't just happen when you're introverted and don't have a lot of spoons to message strangers. After all, I was on Tinder on and off for years and years before making a lucky swipe and connecting with my partner. However, in a similar amount of time, my partner has made so many cool connections with people that they don't feel the need to swipe anymore because they have enough potential dates for when they have time and energy to go on them. That was not my experience with online dating, I'll tell you what. (laughs) (laughs) Here's what it comes down to. On some fundamental level, I don't think of myself as attractive or outgoing or interesting as my partner, and it really hurts to have such a tangible proof of that. My rational brain knows that this isn't true. It knows that many people find me attractive and interesting. And what's really happening is that my partner is simply more comfortable and confident on dating apps than I am. But I can't get rid of this feeling that it's always going to be me waiting around for them to come back from these amazing fun dates while I keep losing people's attention after just a bit of conversation. I'm just not sure what to do. I don't think non-monogamy itself is the issue because I've often felt anxiety around having crushes on or wanting to date other people when I'm in long-term relationships, and it feels good to know the act of having a crush or dating someone else will not be the end of this relationship. I'm already seeing the benefits that working through my feelings around non-monogamy has had on my anxious attachment, but I don't know how to navigate these feelings of inadequacy. How do I manage my feelings and learn to trust that things will come with time when it hurts so much in the meantime? Mm. How do I continue to show up for my partner and give space for their joy and excitement when it keeps reminding me of my insecurities? Any advice would help. It's really helped just typing this out. Lots of love, inadequate and insecure, or alternatively, I was the ugly kid in middle school and it haunts me to this day.
0: Oh, sweet baby. Don't say that. (laughs) I mean, no, you can say that. I mean... You're allowed to talk about your own experience. However, I want to go back in time and like swoop up that middle schooler and just be like, you're cool as shit. (laughs) You're going to listen to a cool (laughs) podcast later and you're going to be in a dope relationship. And
1: yeah, absolutely. The things we
0: would say to our middle school selves. Um, Okay. I have a question, Sam, which will shape Uh my advice. Do you think that inadequate and insecure would feel the same anxiety um, and like tension if mm-hmm. they were just dating on their own without the partner's success to compare it to. Because
1: that's a great question. Yeah. I think, I think that the, the feelings of comparison maybe wouldn't be as like, like, online dating right to be clear is hard right <laughs> And it's like not super fun regardless um so I think that there would probably be feelings of like oh I'm going through all of this work and it's not it doesn't seem to be catching like there aren't you know I'm not going on any dates like that kind of stuff but I do think that like the added thing of saying like and I'm right next to this person who's also going doing the same thing and it seems to be having more success is really challenging um yes. and I think that that's challenging when you see your friend do it, right? When you have friends that are seem to be having more success in dating than you are. But I think it would be uniquely challenging to also be dating that person, yes. <laughs> right? Like to be in relationship with that person. I asked
0: because the anxiety that they wrote about in it, it to me it it just it read so much just like a I want to date but I don't want to put myself back out there because of this anxiety and insecurities I have and I don't want to get rejected and you know we've we've read these similar words in letters from people who are single you know but the added thing so it so yes these are s- comparable experiences but the added stressor of it is what the letter writer calls the tangible proof that they believe they are not as attractive or as outgoing or or as interesting as their partner. And they're Mm. seeing that quote unquote proof played out in all of these dates. So we got to be like myth busters up in this shit and debunk that proof. Um, Because just a small reminder, inadequate and insecure, like in a non toxically positive way. I just want to say there are a million different ways to be a human and each s- human thrives in different circumstances because mm-hmm. your partner is quote unquote thriving in an online dating circumstance. That is not the test that equates likability, attractability, datability, things like that. Right? Like, mm-hmm. That is just a small subculture in which they're getting a ton of dates at this time in life. Right. It's yep. we, I'm using that word proof because you used it. And I know why. Like our brains often see the, re, the things that reinforce our personal narratives about ourselves and see them as proof instead of just coincidence or happenstance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Our brains are so good at making those patterns, and so like often me, those like patterns, me, like like negatively.
0: Like <laughs> yes, me losing exactly. my wallet, I see that as proof that I'm a fucked up hot mess, right? Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. why I freak out and have a panic attack, and you know, <laughs> not a panic attack. It's it's just like a meltdown, like it's yeah,
1: yeah, legitimate. Um, yeah, and I think too um, inadequate and secure as like. I think that there's a difference between just having an open relationship and, like, being in a relationship with a person and, like, actively online dating, too, right? Like, the way that you describe open relationships in your letter, which is to say that, like, I want to have space for me to have crushes and go on dates with those crushes, right? Or, like, date people Mm -hmm. is very different, at least to me, from we're going to spend every evening on Tinder searching for people to go on dates with. Right. And so I want to give you I want to give you permission to say that, like, just because you're in an open relationship doesn't mean that you need to be dating other people. Right. It doesn't mean like it's not a requirement. It's just it it is just creating space for you to be able to to pursue that if the the drive comes up in you.
0: Yeah. I'm so so glad you said that.
1: Yeah, because it's like. The way that you described what you wanted out of this open relationship just felt really different from to me than like you and your partner like competing for how many first dates you can go on, right? And so I want you to, I want to say that because I want to A, give you some grace to say it's not that you're not into non-monogamy, right? It's just that like, first of all, you're unpracticed in it because this is your first relationship doing it. And secondly, that like, there are different iterations of it. And maybe this just isn't the right iteration for you. Right, It might be the right iteration for your partner. And I don't think that they're incompatible, right? Totally like if your agreed. partner wants to go on dating apps and like wants to go on a bunch of first dates with people, like if that's the way that they want to pursue it, great. You also you don't have to have that, right? And it doesn't mean that you're failing at non-monogamy and it doesn't mean that you're like undateable. It just means that like, dating apps maybe aren't the place for that. Like maybe you want to develop a crush on a coworker instead and like go on a date with them in a different way. Right. Like there's all sorts of iterations of this. And just because your partner is doing really well in one of them doesn't mean that you're not going to do really well in a different iteration of it.
0: I think that's so so good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So give yourself permission to be like, eh, I know I'm in an open relationship, but I'm not going to act on that openness right now. I don't want to be on the dating apps. I want right. to like have a more authentic connection with someone before I go on dates with them. And that's totally a-okay, right? Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not, you're not doing it right.
0: Yeah. And we also know that like, um, trying to meet people, especially in a, you know, a pandemic-y world, it can be really challenging. So sometimes you're like, well, the dating app is mm-hmm. the only place that I can do this, you know? And if that's right. the case, then I think Sam and I just want to remind you of some, some simple ideas to not let the rejection of online dating take away your soul.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Um, the other day, Sam, we were like doing a little secret for the podcast and I'm going to quote something that <laughs> Sam said, <laughs> AKA take credit for his genius. Um, and we were talking about like why ghosting sucks so much. Um, mm. And... Sam said and you can explain it I'll just lay it out you. <laughs> I'll just take for sure the words and then you can explain. <laughs> I hate uh-huh. myself. <laughs> um you know when you're trying to like navigate the well exactly what you said in, inadequate and insecure that like you're that that vulnerability of like putting yourself out there for that rejection um and knowing that it's going to be hard and knowing that you feel that, that this is an insecurity of you and whatever. Um, these people who don't swipe on you or who, who do swipe and then never message back or you go on a date and it doesn't work out or whatever it is. These people do not have a secret knowledge of you that confirms all your worst fears. Again, mm. they don't have a secret knowledge that proves all your insecurities right. They don't know you. They're just on an mm-hmm. app. Now you yeah, can talk.
1: <laughs> no, and I think uh, to be to give credit where credit is due, I think I stole this idea from Dear Polly. So Oh, just... good, good, good,
0: good. good. <laughs> yeah. Glad glad you so I'm, got that out of the way for legal purposes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely. So I am not the genius that Sierra says that I am. Um. Yes but I think I think that we tell ourselves maybe not consciously, but often that like that the people who reject us must have some secret knowledge of us. But in fact, they're the people who know the least about us, right? Right. And you are surrounded by people in your life who have intimate knowledge of who you are and what you bring to the world and continue to be in relationship with you every day. And those are the people that know the most about you. So like if you had a person who you've met once, like, why would they, why would they somehow have knowledge that you need to know from them about yourself? So I know, and then I know it sucks, right? Like dating apps suck. Like I don't know how many times I'm going to say that this episode, but it is because it is like just, it is just often rejection after rejection. Right. And that's what it can feel like. But remind yourself that like these people and their opinions of you at the end of the day, aren't important. Right. Because you are surrounded by people who are in your life because they know about you and they love the things that they know about mm, you.
0: I love that. And Yes.
1: Rejection hurts. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. It, it feels like physical pain. Our brains equate it with physical pain. And we can also say, I know that this hurts. And I also know that I am deeply loved by the people around me who know me so deeply that they love me despite everything that they know about me.
0: Right. No, totally. (laughs) That's it right there. (laughs) Um, And when you're feeling insecure, I would encourage you, like, this this does not have to be something that you embark alone. You are in um, a non-monogamous relationship with this partner, potentially primary partner. I'm not sure what you would distinguish it as. But, like, I'd also encourage you to lean on your partner at this time. Um, Mm -hmm. Because guess what? They're with you. And they love you. And they choose you every day. Um, and hopefully they can help you when you need help, when you need supporting, like picking yourself up, picking yourself up again, reminding you that you're not defined by the hellish world that is online dating. Um, I hope that your partner will be there to help, help.
1: Absolutely. And I also just want to say thank you for writing this letter. I know that you felt like maybe we wouldn't want to answer it because we're not in open relationships, but, um, I appreciate you trusting us with it again. Like I just said, this is the the last letter, Um, but know that, um, that, you know, we are absolutely supportive of your non-monogamy and we recognize that like there can be issues in non-monogamous relationships while, while still being healthy in a non-monogamous way. Right. Like, and so I appreciate you trusting us with this and, and letting us, show you that we trust that this is the right relationship for you and that we're super happy that you are exploring this thing and that you find a way to make it work for you in the way that you want it to.
0: Yeah, totally. I totally agree. All right, my darling, thank you so much for listening and trusting us with this. We love you.
1: Thank you so much. All right, everyone, this brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to set you up with
0: Okay, y'all, I gotta be real with you.
1: <laughs> oh, no. This is gonna be going like, outside?
0: Like, walks or something? No. It's an amalgamation of things. Uh, okay. I was, like, racking my brain today for things that I'm obsessed with, and the reality is everything I love right now is a little weird, or, like, you know, not necessarily something I'd share on the podcast. For example,
1: Downton okay. Abbey.
0: Sam and I yes, have been, you are. Yeah. We've been obsessed with Downton Abbey, but it's, like, it's been out. You know what I mean.
1: <laughs> I just watched the first season. It came out ten years ago. Yeah, like it's literally been ten out, years, and if years ago. And I came on and
0: I was like, "Oh my god, guys! I've been watching this show." Uh. <laughs> okay, so that was my first thought because Sam and I. But have been also, we are it, we love it. We are we're both obs- obsessed, with it. obsessed with it.
1: Obsessed with it.
0: Apparently, Sam thinks I, that we aged into it because he didn't like <laughs> it at first, and now we're like weeping at every episode. Because
1: I watched it in 2012 and was like, "This show's dumb," and then I watched it. <laughs> Literally this sex? month. And I was like, this is the most wonderful show I have yeah. ever seen. I have aged into the demographic that this show yeah, is yeah, for. And I'm so thankful. Honey. <laughs> yes, absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'm also into uh like this fancy ass but very affordable finishing salt called Maldon. <laughs> Oh, it's a very, it's like a flaky salt that you like put on your meals after you've cooked them. I fucking, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. Um, it's my I,
1: favorite thing. I love I'm, it so much. Not that salt, but just like flaky salt.
0: Yeah, it's on special. Top of your dish. Mm. Mm. Um, and I'm also really into the Olympics and like the women's gymnastic team and all of that stuff. But none of those is like are like really accurate. And to be honest, the thing I've been thinking about that i love the most this week is my wife because it's our anniversary today and oh, happy anniversary so thank you in honor of my wife and my anniversary i'm going to shout out an organization that she loves It's you can go to 350.org uh obviously my work my wife works in climate change and sustainability um and she, so that's like her mission in life i think she's Essentially a superhero doing the work to like make up the planet livable for our, our children's children's children or really just like our children, to be honest, because everything you yep. see going on in the climate uh, this year, like the fires and the floods and the excessive rain we've had. That's all climate change in action. But um, so 350 is an organization. It's a global movement of just ordinary people, um, funded, er, uh, working together to try to end the age of fossil fuels. Um, honestly, I don't know a lot about the organization because I called her today and I said, what would you want like thousands of people to know about? And she panicked, <laughs> but this was <laughs> the first thing she said. Um, and, uh, I know that there are like local chapters of this, um, uh, and you can organize stuff in your own community with the support of them. Or you could just, in honor of Willow and I's anniversary, you could donate 10, ten bucks at their website, 350.org, and find out more about how you can work towards a more sustainable future for, for everyone here. And awesome. happy anniversary, Willow. I love you.
1: Yeah. Yo. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Breakup Pod.
0: You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship meme, but most importantly, you can submit your question about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise.
1: Please remember to hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice.
0: Original music, editing, producing, managing, all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, aka Big Cat. You can find his music on Spotify. Make sure to support him. And remember... You have important things to say. You deserve to be heard. You deserve to be respected. You deserve to be listened to. And you deserve the act of mediation, of someone meeting you halfway or at least respecting and empathizing with your position. Don't forget to give yourself the credit too. And if all else fails.
1: Just break up.